Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood. It's story time. It's story Saturday, and today we're going to have a fun one for you. This is story 15 from Stories from the Great Challenge. It's called Work Release, and with this one, we're getting back to science fiction. It's been a little while since I've had science fiction coming out of this collection yet. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, how to describe it. It's not quite Hunger Games-ish because it's about prisoners who have to fight. Uh, it's now well, you'll see it when you when you hear it. It's a cool story. I wrote it. I'm reading it, and because I read it, that makes it super awesome. <laughs> um, I'm just gonna get to it since uh, it's been uh, a busy few days. I'm getting it out a little later than I planned to today on Saturday. Uh, so hey, enjoy, and I'll talk to you when it's done. I really don't want to do this. Billy looked across the dropship to where the kid sat strapped into his crash couch by a four-point sling of webbing, and could identify it completely. The kid was young, maybe twenty years old, brown-haired with yellow-green eyes, in shape but not bulky, and wearing the same drab blue-gray coveralls Billy wore. Despite his strong physique, he had fear in his eyes. Billy had felt that fear a dozen times over the last fifteen years. He'd been doing drops like this since before Stephen was in grade school, but still, no matter how many times he'd done them, he never wanted to do the next one. His body pressed down into his seat as the G-forces began to build up, and he put on a grin, the same grin he'd seen oldies make on his first drop, or at least his best approximation of it, and forced out a laugh that did a pretty damn good job of being genuine. What's the matter, kid? You want to live forever? The kid looked at him and scowled, then said, Yeah, actually. Billy really did laugh then. Around them, the dropship gave a lurch. It was five meters on a side and cubic. The interior was all gray metallic plating, pipes, and digital displays on cracked LED screens, except for the crew couches. They were arranged around the four sides of the room, four on a side except for the bulkhead to Billy's right, where only two of their fellow chattels sat, on either side of the red and gray painted hatch that would open after they made Planetfall so they, poor doomed souls that they were, could rush out to meet their fate. The place stank of sweat and fear and beneath that of ozone from electrical wiring that was too old so that it was just on the side of burning into flames. Because who cares if a boatload of nobody convicts burned up from the inside before they reached their doom? And piss. There was always piss from some poor schmuck who couldn't control his fear or his bladder on the way down. Most guys didn't last past their first drop. Fewer still lasted past their second. Billy had only met one other guy who'd survived as long as he had in this game, that he had died on the last drop. So Billy figured this was it for him. There was a peace that came from that. A peace that he had never known in all his time since his sentencing. He still didn't want to make the drop. Oh well, here he was. And there the kid was, all young and scared and with no idea what to do or how to handle himself, and if possible, to all appearances even more certain than Billy, that this would be his last ride to, well, anywhere. Stick with me, kid, Billy said, not knowing why he said it. You'll be all right. To either side, and on all the other walls of the dropship, 
His fellow convicts looked at him with expressions that at first said he must be insane. But after a second, as the others took in his demeanor, and then his obvious age and experience, first one, then the others, turned to expression of bitterness, and then anger. Only Stephen didn't look like he wanted to kill Billy. Good. Stephen nodded, didn't say anything. His expression said everything. The G-forces built up, and Billy had to suppress a groan. He clenched his thighs and worked his shoulders, flowing out through pursed lips to keep the blood flowing and force himself to breathe. Then there was a giant lurch and a hollow bang. All around him, the other men in the drop ship surged forward against their restraints as the G-forces suddenly relented. All was silent for a few minutes, except for the strained breathing from thirteen other men, the soft groans that some could not restrain from leaving their mouths. Then a hiss and a pop and the hatch popped open, falling outward to land on the ground of their slaughter field outside. Warm humidity flooded into the dropship, and with it the smell of vegetation and the taste of water on the air. Chirping, whether from local bird equivalents or some other species, carried into the chamber with the warm air, and for a second everyone just stared at the glare of sunlight streaming in through the hatch. Then a hulking, dark-skinned man, dressed in the same jumpsuit and boots as the rest of the dropship's occupants, threw off his harness with a grunt that was almost a roar and rushed forward toward the open hatch. That was all the others needed. The dropship became a stampede of men racing to remove their restraints and shoving each other aside in their haste to head out toward the exit and the fight to survive. Across the dropship, Billy saw the kid move to undo his harness and Billy raised a hand toward him, open and palm out, and shook his head. Wait, Billy mouthed, and the kid looked askance at him for a second. Then the press of men became severe and understanding washed across the kid's face as he took in the press. Small as it was, the weight of the crowd was immense. Off to the left of the door, on the kid's side of the ship, Billy saw one man, slender, as though not one who worked out much, crushed beneath two larger men and then shoved aside by a third. He stumbled into the hatchway and his forehead rebounded off the hatch's seating surface. Billy saw blood as his scalp split, and then he disappeared from view as the press of men flowed over top him. Billy looked back at the kid and nodded grimly. Best to wait there. There would be plenty of time to debark and get settled after the initial rush died down. The kid returned the nod. He understood. To the left, on the wall opposite the exit hatch, a third man still waited in his harness. Older than Stephen, maybe twenty-three or twenty-four, the skin the color of chocolate and a shaved head, he clearly had been through this before as well. He sat, thumbs hooked beneath the chest straps of his harness, and waited for them, his eyes watching the press of noobs with disdain, more like disgust. The dark man must have felt Billy's gaze on it because he looked away from the rushing crowd and met Billy's eyes. A rush of adrenaline went up Billy's spine. His eyes were stone cold. The eyes of a killer. But he nodded with evident respect and flashed a little grin Billy's way. So, Billy had found his team for this drop. He always needed a team. That was the only way to even have a chance to survive. But some guys made the mistake of picking a team that was too large, and that always bit them in the ass. Only three could pass through the gauntlet. Three survivors from each drop of 42 men set down. Four times in his career as a convict, Billy had only made it because some fools had chosen teams of four or five. In the end, infighting killed them and let Billy go on living. Living as a prisoner, and as a toy, never seeing anything except for the walls of a cell, except for an hour a day, and even then just stars through a viewport in the side of the prison's exercise compartment, and only certain to go on living until the next drop. But he was still living and it beat the alternative. So Billy returned the grin and the nod. 
The press of men ended as abruptly as it began, and then it was just the three of them sitting in their chairs in the dropship prisoner compartment. Across the compartment from him, Billy saw the kid's eyes moving from him to the dark man and back. He licked his lips. Billy rolled his shoulders in a shrug and unlatched his harness. Then he stood, moving slowly to get a good stretch, and turned toward the hatch. The skinny guy who had gotten jounced around earlier was lying there just inside the hatch sill. He was limp, unmoving, and his head was wrenched around in an unnatural angle. His neck was almost certainly broken, and he had the starts of several bruises just starting to show in several places on his exposed skin. He was a goner, but you had to make sure. So Billy walked over, crouched down, and checked his pulse. Yep. Dead. Nodding with grim satisfaction, he turned to look back at the kid and the dark guy. Well, one down, thirty-eight more to go, Billy said. He raised his eyebrows and swept his arm toward the open hatch. Shall we? The kid looked at him with more of that uncomprehending fear. The darker guy just grinned. It was a smile of hunger. Four hours in, and near as Billy could tell, twenty competitors down. Competitors. It was a euphemism, but it was the euphemism that warden and guards always used. The first two or three times Billy had dropped, he had rebelled against it, but eventually he had found himself using the term. After all, it was a competition. Survival of the fittest to see who got to keep on living. Just broadcast on a galaxy-wide vidcast. Rumor was the vid networks made a fortune off it, and Billy could believe it. He'd watched them when he was a kid, when his parents were out partying and didn't know what he was doing. He got a vicarious thrill, watching the convicts duke it out, scratching and clawing where they didn't have weapons to see who got to live and who didn't. He'd seen the broadcast of the proud few convicts who had lived to their terms and emerged victorious and supposedly wealthy from donations set by their various fans to live out the rest of their lives their debt to society paid on a beach, on some tropical paradise, on a sun-drenched world somewhere away from the major shipping lanes. Supposedly. Now that he had been in the system for almost as long as he'd been alive before he got arrested, he highly doubted any of that was true. As far as he knew, he was the oldest surviving convict in the system, and he still had seven years left on his sentence. No way some other guys had made it out. He would have heard about it. No, it was all a sham, to give the public some entertainment while lining the pockets of the broadcasters and their commentator staff. But that wasn't Billy's problem. Right now, his problem was getting through the remaining 19 without getting killed himself. He crouched behind a tall, thin-trunked tree with swaying limbs that almost but not quite resembled a palm tree he'd seen in a picture once, clutching the hatchet he had picked off a dead convict an hour earlier. He was sweating up a storm, his coveralls were wet, clinging to his torso, and he had to breathe in heavily to get enough air from the humidity of the place. And he suspected, from its lower-than-standard atmospheric density. Stephen was leaning against the other tree, fifteen feet to Billy's right. A cudgel made of smooth, dark wood in his hands. He glanced aside to meet Billy's eyes and raised a questioning eyebrow. Billy raised his free hand, telling him to hold fast, and looked back toward their prey. A group of four convicts, clad in gray and red overalls, not coming from the same prison as theirs, were clustered around a wood-sided box in the center of a clearing about thirty feet away. On all sides of their little group, more tall trees swayed in a breeze that didn't seem to carry any coolness, and smaller shrubs and underbrush somehow managed to not wilt in the heat. Overhead, whitish-gray clouds moved on that same breeze. One momentarily passed before the yellow-white sun that was almost directly overhead now, and the temperature dropped noticeably. Billy had to restrain a sigh of relief at the sudden coolness. 
no time to dwell on that now, either. Three other quartet were in a discussion, speaking in low voices that didn't quite carry to Billy's location, while the fourth stood apart, keeping a lookout, his head turning left and right often enough that it would be hard to creep up on him unseen. The other three appeared to be trying to figure out how to get the box open. Idiots. The wardens often place boxes in the killing grounds to lure the competitors into a place and force a fight through promise of supplies or weapons. In Billy's experience, those promises were almost always empty. It was all just a game to force the action. And it worked. After all, there he was, about ready to leap on the poor sods to the viewing public's amusement. Only different was he didn't plan to stick around afterwards for the next team to ambush. The lookout turned to look in Stephen's direction, his long knife clutched in his hand. The three talking were in disagreement. The one farthest away from Billy was shaking his head and making a chopping gesture with his right hand. His lips, thin and blood-red beneath his blonde mop, were drawn into a scowl. He was just opening his mouth to speak when something large, dark, and muscled rose out of the underbrush behind him. Large arms wrapped themselves around the blonde man, twisting beneath and around his shoulders before getting around his neck and twisting hard. Before any of the blonde man's companions could move, he slumped, dead from a broken neck, in the arms of the big dark man, Gamal, from the dropship. They all froze, stunned. In that second of opportunity, Billy rounded his tree and charged, straight for the sentry. He had turned with his fellows, his eyes drawn by the sudden noise and violence. He only registered Billy's approach a second before his arrival. He had only just begun to turn to meet him when Billy's hatchet took him in the temple. He fell and Billy turned towards the others. Only two now. One, unarmed, turned to flee. The other had a claw hammer and charged toward Gamal, crying out in something that was probably supposed to be powerful rage, but just came across as desperate. The big man let the blonde fall to the ground and stepped forward into the man's swing. The hammer struck his raised forearm, but only with a shaft, not with the head. It evoked a grunt from the big man, but that didn't stop him from jabbing his attacker in the throat with half-closed knuckles. The convict went down, thrashing as he clutched at his shattered voice box, and Billy turned away to find the last man. Stephen stood over the body, his cudgel dripping blood from where the kid had bashed the guy's brain in. Stephen's eyes were wide. He had a look on his face that was part exhilaration, part shock, and part disgust. It was his first time killing a man. Even if he hadn't said it earlier, and he hadn't taken anyone down yet so far in this competition until now, Billy would have known it just from the look on his face. Billy met Stephen's eyes and nodded. Good job, he said. Then he turned to Gamal. The big man grinned at him, only the joy of killing on his face. Let's gather their weapons and get out of here, Billy said. Twenty-four down. Fifteen to go. Six hours in, and Billy was pretty sure another six of their competitors were gone. Or at least, he and his team had taken out two more and come across four other bodies he didn't recognize. Assuming he wasn't being optimistic, that left nine to go. Nine more. Just nine. You know, Stephen said, we could just find a place to hold up, wait for the others to pick each other off. He sounded like he was getting tired. He certainly had grown up some in the last couple hours. He scored another kill, and was taking the second one far better than he had the first. He'd firmed up, become more stoic. In another life, Billy would feel sorry for him. But not this one. In this one, it was kill or die, and strange as it seemed, Billy found he didn't want the kid to die. Not yet. Gamal shook his head. That's a good way to lull yourself. They were standing amidst a collection of boulders that rested alongside a swiftly flowing stream that ran from north to south, 
through the pseudo-palm forest, or at least Billy presumed it was north to south from the location of the sun and the way it moved across the sky since they departed the dropship anyway. They'd been going for a good long time now, and dehydration was fast becoming an issue. They'd stopped to get a drink. Billy nodded in agreement with Gamal. I've seen other guys try to evade, keep out of the way. Never seems to work out. Something always drives them out. Either someone finds them, or a wild animal, or the wardens just send a drone to shoot them out into the open. No, better to take the initiative. He bent over and cupped his hands into the flowing water, then lifted the fluid to his lips. It would have been warm elsewhere, but compared to the heat in the air, it felt blessedly cool. And it tasted sweet somehow. It was good. Okay, Stephen said. Then maybe we set another ambush? Other teams will be looking for water as well. Billy nodded and dropped his hands, exhaling with satisfaction. Yeah, now that's a better idea. He looked around, pondering. Where do you think? Stephen gestured with his chin toward the other side of the stream and up about a hundred paces. There, a tree had fallen at some point in the past, coming to rest at an angle atop another boulder. In the time since its collapse, undergrowth had sprung up around the fallen trunk. Billy considered for a moment and then nodded. The kid was right. That would be a good place to lie in wait. A few moments later, he cursed himself for a fool when, as they were approaching that place, three men that he recognized from their prison and their dropship charged from the trees to their right, and another two emerged from the same place they were just thinking about setting up their own trap. Then he ran out of time to upbraid himself, as their attackers were on them. Gamal was gone, his head bashed in by another hammer, and Billy was limping from an injured leg. But Stephen was somehow untouched, and another hour had passed. They hadn't seen anyone since their fight at the fallen tree. But there should be five more competitors out there. One they could spare, the others... His foot came down wrong, making him twist his injured leg unexpectedly and making Billy grit his teeth in pain. Spare one? Who was he kidding? Gimpy as he was, he wouldn't be in position to offer anyone mercy. He'd be the one begging in a straight-up fight, more than likely. Stephen grabbed onto Billy's arm and helped him get fully back upright and into a more comfortable position. Though comfort was a relative term lately. Come on, old-timer, Stephen said. Not much farther. Billy looked sidelong at him and snorted. You got someplace in mind to go that I don't know about? The kid shrugged and managed to grin at him. Away from here? Fair point, although... Wouldn't mind staying here, actually. Stephen looked at him askance. What? Warm air, nice scenery, lots of food from the look of things, he shrugged. Beats that prison satellite. Yeah, well, make it past this and we'll be out of there soon enough. Billy snorted again. You're dreaming, kid. No one gets out. Of course they do, if... Billy held up short, and Stephen took a pace before he noticed. He turned back around to look at Billy, that questioning eyebrow raised again. You don't actually believe that shit about making it through, paying your debt, and going on to the beach somewhere, do you? Stephen shrugged slightly, eyeing Billy with sudden uncertainty. Not a beach, but after I've done my five years, I... Billy rolled his eyes. Kid, you ain't gonna make it five years. Most guys don't even last one. He gestured toward the forest around them. Haven't you been paying attention today? But... Stephen stopped himself mid-sentence. His eyes turned to follow Billy's hand toward where it had ended up pointing deeper into the forest. All I did was steal a cab. He stopped, his voice catching in his throat. That doesn't deserve the true enormity of his situation. The utter lack of hope seemed to strike him, and Stephen's shoulders slumped. His eyes dropped, and he hung his head. Christ, that was all Billy needed. 
was the kid was he crying he was gonna get them both killed if he didn't pull himself together damn him damn yourself said the little voice in billy's head that he hated listening to you could have waited to educate him until after you guys made it out if you made it out cussed voice was right of course that's why billy hated listening to it he reached out to lay a hand on the kid's shoulder look kid don't take me right at that moment was when a group of three charged them from the left Billy should be dead. He had no idea how he wasn't. It was effectively three-on-one, and though Stephen had proved to be tougher than Billy gave him credit for in the dropship, those were long odds, even armed, and their attackers were armed as well. But Billy had somehow managed to brain the guy who came for him, and Stephen took down the other two. So there was only one more competitor to take out, and they were safe. Only problem was Billy's attacker had slipped his knife into Billy's side, and Stephen... The kid was rough, left arm hanging limp at an unnatural angle, obviously broken, and cuts above his right eye and deep into the meat of his left thigh. He wasn't in any condition to fight either. If either of their two remaining competitors came on them now, they were done. Or one of them was, anyway. Billy sat slumped against the trunk of one of those pseudo-palms and racked his brain from some tactic, some trick to get them out of this. Stephen was going through their attacker's pockets. He straightened with a wince and shook his head. Nothing better than what we already had, and he gestured at himself, then at Billy, and half barked out a bitter laugh. Billy returned the laugh with a snort of his own. Yeah, a lot of good, bitter gear would do them now, unless it was a gun. But the wardens would never leave a weapon like that out for the competition. Too much risk of losing control of the convicts during pickup or drop-off. Stephen limped over to the same tree and leaned back against it, then slumped down to the ground at Billy's right. Guess we just have to hope the other two fight it out amongst themselves. Guess so. But that was a fool's chance to take. There was no guarantee those two weren't teamed up, or that they would meet up before finding the two of them. For that matter, Billy's count could be off. There was no telling for certain. But he was pretty sure he was right. He'd had lots of years to practice counting down the competition, and lots more of those same thing to look forward to even if they managed to take out one of the other two. More years than the kid had in his entire sentence. Wasn't much to look forward to. You said you got five years total. How long you been in? Nine months. Billy nodded. Rules were a guy got anywhere between a year to eighteen months between drops. To recuperate and to enjoy the spoils of victory. Those spoils being prison food and prison walls. And breathing. Better than the alternative, sometimes. But that meant the kid might only have to go through the competition two more times before release. Assuming release really was a thing, he'd never seen it happen, but maybe it was possible. Billy would have to go through at least three, maybe four more drops. Inwardly, he shuddered at the idea. You said you stole a cab? Yeah, what'd you do? Shot a guy. Robbed a bank. Billy shook his head. Done plenty worse than that since then, though. There was a pause, then Stephen nodded. Yeah. From the tone of his voice, Billy could tell the kid was considering the future also. Maybe computing how many more times he might have to do this, just as Billy had and he wasn't liking what he'd come up with. Billy couldn't blame him. If he had his druthers, he'd... Rustling off to the left, and Billy turned his head, his spirits dropped. The last two competitors were coming, just walking straight toward them, out in the open. And why not? They wore gray and green coveralls, and they looked completely untouched. No way he and Stephen would be able to fight them off. Billy fingered the knife he'd taken from his dead attacker, the same knife he'd used to stab Billy with. The two were moving quickly, but warily. Their eyes locked onto Billy, and he could see the confidence in their stare. 
and the ball beam hammer in one guy's hand and the length of rebar in the other's. He could use that like a spear, and from the blood at the end of it, he already had at least once. Wouldn't even have to get close to kill with that. Definitely outside of Billy's swinging distance. Crap. He looked to his right. Stephen was staring out the other way. He hadn't seen their attackers yet. If it came down to a fight, there was a chance both of them might end up dead. It had happened before, and that would just suck. Though since both of them going out when one could make it, and if it came down to that, it just made sense. Sorry about this kid, Billy said. Stephen was just turning to look at him, that eyebrow raising into its question again when Billy swung at his throat with the knife. He told himself it was the fact that he was wounded and moving slower than he otherwise would have, that was the reason why the kid was able to catch the hand holding the blade before it ever reached him. And it was also, on account of the wounds, that he wasn't able to move out of the way before the kid shuffled over and sank his own blade into Billy's stomach. He heard the groan coming from his lips before the pain registered. He felt wetness spreading across the front of his coveralls, spreading at a rate that should have been alarming as the kid withdrew the weapon. The kid kept his eyes on Billy's knife hand, but he didn't even try to fight back. He just let go of the weapon and it thumped to the ground at his side. Stephen narrowed his eyes and raised the knife to Billy's throat. Why? Billy shrugged, then gestured toward the oncoming competitors. Stephen followed his gesture with his eyes, and they widened. Can't both make it, Billy said, and I'm sick of this shit. And as he said it, he realized it was true. He also realized that no chance I'll get through enough of these to get released. He drew a breath and coughed as a new spasm of pain swept through him. You might, though. Stephen just stared at him. Then slowly, he took the knife away from Billy's neck. He pushed himself away and then slowly, with obvious pain, forced himself to his feet. It was getting cold. Strange, since the sun was not yet low enough in the sky to be setting yet, but the shadows were growing longer, all the same. Stephen dropped his knife to the ground and nodded, looking him in the eye. Thank you, he said. Then he turned and limped toward the last two remaining competitors. As the shadows expanded to completely fill his vision, Billy heard the siren that announced the competition was over. His last thought was a smidgen of hope that maybe, just maybe, the kid might be the first one to make it all the way to release. Maybe. Okay, so there's work release. <clears throat> a little more grim, but also I kind of think a little upbeat in its own way at the end, too. Um, but yeah, I guess that's one way to handle convicts. Not sure how just it is, but it's one way. Uh, anyway, yeah. Hope you liked it. The uh, <laughs> It is what it is. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, next week, we'll be, for Saturday, we'll be going on back to Stories from the Great Challenge for story number 16, which is a cute little fantasy story. It's a portal fantasy called Miss Melody and the Elf Spa. So come back then. And we will uh, read you that. I think you'll like that one. It's a lot less grim than this story was. Um, aside from that, I didn't do much streaming this week because I've been really busy. But I intend to get back to my normal streaming routine. Uh, 2 o'clock Pacific time um, on uh, weekdays. Uh, so come by the channel then. Otherwise, just swing by MichaelKingsWood.com. You can sign up for a mailing list there to keep in touch about uh, new releases. You can become a member of the site to send a few bucks a month my way to keep the lights on around here. And if you go to MichaelKingsWood.com slash store, you can find all my books in whatever format you like directly from me via my company. 
Um, you can, of course, find me on Amazon and Kobo and Barnes Noble and Apple Books and Google Play and all the other places out there. But it's better to come straight to me because uh, we have a one-to-one direct relationship. You can uh, always stay in touch and we can always let you know when stuff's coming on. And it avoids possible complications from capricious middlemen. So bear that in mind. Uh, anyway, that's all I got for you today. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tell everyone what we're doing around here. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel, whether it be video or podcast or whatever. And uh, come back next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on all my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted by Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.